0: This is the news from Green Street, your weekly look at environmental issues that may impact your personal health and well-being. Patty and Doug Wood and our network of experts, glad you could join us today. On the subject board today, artificial turf fields, what's wrong with them and why is Boston prohibiting any more to be constructed in the city. The unwanted cell tower, how a family in Massachusetts is dealing with the health effects from a giant cell tower in their neighborhood. And finally, why that bottle of water in your hand may not be what you think it is. And anyway, how that plastic bottle you throw away may come back to cause real health problems for you in the future. Well, maybe not that exact water bottle, but you know what I mean. That's all coming up on this edition of the Green Street News. Okay, so let's talk about these artificial turf fields and why the city of Boston has decided to ban them. What's going on? Well, Boston's mayor, Michelle Wu, has ordered no
1: new artificial turf to be installed in city parks, making Boston the largest municipality in a small but growing number around the nation to limit the use of the product because it contains dangerous chemicals. All artificial turf is made with toxic PFAS compounds, and some is still produced with ground-up tires that can contain heavy metals, benzene, VOCs, and other carcinogens that can present a real health threat. The material also emits high levels of methane, a potent greenhouse gas, and sheds microplastics and other chemicals into waterways. We already know there are toxic chemicals in the product, so why would we continue to utilize them and have children roll around on them when we have a safe alternative, which is natural grass, asked Sarah Evans, an environmental health professor for the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai.
0: These fields are all over the place. I mean, these are, I see these fields basically in every town. How many fields are there out there? Do you know?
1: Well, let's see. Our federal government estimates about 12,000 synthetic turf fields exist in the U.S., and at least 1,200 more are installed every year. Proponents of these fields say that they are easier to maintain than grass fields and are not prone to quote-unquote flooding, though they do also require significant maintenance. The product is also increasingly used on playgrounds or as alternatives to lawns in drought-plagued regions.
0: Yeah, I've heard about that. So 12,000 fields, they're expensive. They're like a million and a half dollars a piece. That's $18 billion, if my math is correct. That's right. This is a gigantic (laughs) industry.
1: The sales pitch is always that this is better than nature, right? You can play on them 24-7 in all kinds of weather, basically year-round, even in areas where you have pretty cold winters. But yeah, you're right. Do the math, 1.5 million for each field. And sometimes they're more than that, but let's just say they're 1.5 million. Yeah,
0: that's right. Which is
1: 18 billion.
0: So let's talk about how those fields are manufactured. These are like gigantic pieces of plastic, and now they're finding PFAS chemicals in these
1: well they weren't actually looking for it but it has always been
0: in there because you have to understand that when they put the
1: these artificial grass blades through some manufacturing you know equipment they don't want it to stick so that pfos makes it non-stick right Mm. so basically you need to use pfos to make artificial turf fields but it's just coming out that they have PFOS in them along with all these other chemicals. But let's go back to where how it's made. So it's made with layers, right? So it includes the plastic grass blades, what we just talked about, and the plastic backing, which we call the carpet, which holds the blades in place. And then they have that infill material, whatever it is, whether they're using ground up tires or they're using cork or they're using some other material to hold the grass blades upright and also help to cushion it. But until recently, you know, they were all made with recycled rubber tires called crumb rubber. And also you have to realize that underlying that carpet, that plastic carpet, you also have layers of rock and sand and drainage pipes and yeah. all kinds of stuff that's going on. So once you put that field in, you're pretty much committed to keeping that field.
0: It's hard to have a grass field after you've it's poured really all this stuff It's really hard to go back,
1: I mean, you can, but the manufacturers know this. They know that once they got you hooked, you're in.
0: And getting rid of these fields is a big problem. I've I've seen rolled up old pieces of this carpet sitting on the side of these fields because the dump, you know, you can't put them in the dump. They won't take them because they're toxic.
1: Yeah, I mean, the ground up rubber, the old tires, which have a lot of toxic material in them, are not allowed in certain landfills. Yeah,
0: so what do we do? We've got this gigantic mass of plastic and crumb rubber you know it's an yeah. it's an environmental nightmare
1: there are some you know professional soccer fields and so on that change these fields pretty regularly and they just roll up the old fields and they push them you know onto the side of the uh, of the uh, the playing field they've just got these rolled up old fields these huge rolls of old synthetic turf
0: yeah all right boston banning synthetic turf
1: i love it the more the merrier <laughs>
0: Nestled in the Berkshire Mountains of Western Massachusetts lies the city of Pittsfield. It's a quiet city known for its many visual and musical artists and its baseball history. Back in 1791, a full 20 years before Abner Doubleday was born, a law was passed in Pittsfield prohibiting anyone from playing baseball within 80 yards of the meeting house. Today, the city of 43,000 is known as the heart of the Berkshires and boasts a lively roster of music, dance, theater, community festivals, and celebrations. Just southeast of the city, on a hillside overlooking October Mountain State Forest, lies a bucolic residential community of middle-class homes.
2: This is in a beautiful neighborhood with gorgeous views in a very quiet part of town. And We had bought the house 14 years ago. and. It was our family home. It was the first house that I had ever bought with the intention of raising my family and, and having children there and it being my forever home.
0: That's Courtney Gilardi, a soft-spoken woman with a backbone of steel who's become well-known in Pittsfield for her relentless and determined efforts to protect the health and safety of her family and her neighbors who live nearby. Our story begins literally on the first day of the COVID pandemic
2: on the first day of the COVID pandemic shutdown. The girls were sent home from school. I was released from my work, my work was shutting down and um, huge trucks, huge earth moving trucks uh, with equipment started coming up a really tiny dead end street here in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. And trees were being cleared at the top of our street at this fast pace, um, despite the rest of the world being on pause and nobody in the neighborhood seemed to know what was going on. And I reached out to our city councilor, Chris Connell, and he had been our city councilor for like 10 years. Um, I reached out to our neighbor state representative, Trisha Farley Bouvier, Chris reached out to the city and it was like probably nothing, nothing, you know, because like nobody knows what's going on. Well, we ended up calling the construction company. Um, There was a truck and, I got the number off off the truck and they said they were building a cell tower. And we were absolutely beside ourselves, like, how can you do that? Like nobody knows about this. There had been no publicity about the tower. There had been no notification provided to the abutters who were meant to receive notification. and. Um, you know, when our own ward counselor doesn't know about it, like you have, you have a problem. Now all of a sudden there was this huge industrial commercial structure that was there with a compound that had a backup generator and electrical and, you know, the trees were being cut down and um, you know, we reached out to the mayor and said, "Please, you know, help us. What is happening?" And we um, asked the city to intervene and just see if we could pause. Like I, I, I'm a preschool teacher, and so I was like, "Can we have a timeout?" Like I literally asked for a timeout.
0: But a timeout is not in Verizon's vocabulary. Their corporate mandate is to turn a profit for investors, not protect public health. That's someone else's job. But there was a problem. Back in 2017, Verizon had applied for a permit for an antenna on South Street in Pittsfield. Now, South Street is a busy commercial highway, filled with the usual complement of motels, gas stations, restaurants, and other commercial buildings. It's the kind of place where an industrial-looking cell tower might fit right in. But that's not exactly where Verizon wanted to put the tower.
2: The address of the cell tower was 877 South Street, which is in a commercial part of the city in a commercial district. And where they built the tower from was off of a Holmes Road residential neighborhood. And people couldn't connect the two, but Farley White Corporation, who owns the land that the Verizon Tower is situated on, they own, it's 59 acres of land. And they built the tower in the far, are this corner of their property and get this they did not have a road from south street to the tower site so that's why they cut the trees they cut the trees and they wood chip them and they made this like 20 foot road from alma street to the tower site Because there was no other way to build the tower other than illegally. That was not part of the permit process at all. So when we say the tower was constructed illegally, what we're referring to is the fact that it was literally built from an unpermitted access point. And, you know, to the credit of the city, they did come up and put police tape up, and the construction workers took it down. And they put a sign up that said access through South Street. And they went around and they ended up even putting a Jersey barrier. And there were days where I would go out there with my car and block the road with my vehicle. So the workers could not come up because they had been told time and time again, you cannot build through this street. It is an unpermitted access point. You guys know that. And the construction workers told the neighbors, you know, our job is to get this up and on before anybody can organize and stop it.
0: Courtney Gillardi wasn't the only one who was upset about an unannounced cell tower being constructed in the quiet residential neighborhood.
2: None of us knew anything about this. This was March of 2020, so we we're like, we understand that there's other priorities, but we need to have answers about this. So can like, we have a community meeting? Can you meet with the neighbors? Can we, you know, can we talk about this? and um, there was no pausing, there was no intervention. And I think we got something like 1,500 signatures on a petition to stop the tower. We started a website, we started, you know, going door to door, knocking on doors. And of course, this is the early days of the pandemic and like nobody's even opening their doors. And we are like, telling neighbors, you know, hey, did you guys know what was being built? And they're like, no. And I'm like, can I tell you? And they're like, sure, what's happening? And I'm like, it's a cell tower. And people are like, no, it's not. Like literally, Doug, they would say to me, it's not a cell tower, because if it was a cell tower, we would have known, we would have gotten a letter, we would have been invited to a community meeting. There would have been a front page article in the Berkshire Eagle. There would have been letters written to the editor. You know, whether you want towers or you don't want towers, this is something that the community does turn out for in force and voice their opinion on and there was nothing people were completely blindsided
0: and so the construction of the tower continued local politicians were sympathetic but had little power to stop the construction of the tower rising 115 feet in the air the tower with its blinking red lights loomed over the neighborhood night and day Having a tower constructed in their quiet neighborhood was bad enough, but that wasn't the worst part.
2: My daughter, who had just turned 10 years old, came down the stairs in late summer of 2020, and she just looked out of sorts and not herself, and said that she was headachy, dizzy, and buzzy. Her head was buzzy. And those were the three words. And I took, like any good mom, you know, I felt her forehead. You know, I'm like, come here, let me feel your forehead, right? And you put the hand and you're like, are you hot? Let me take your temperature. Let me look in your ears. Um, do you have a fever? Stick out your tongue. Like, do you have any mucus? Of course, I thought COVID right away. Um, but she didn't have any symptoms. It was just this headache, dizzy, buzziness. And I went outside and I walked to the tower and I could hear a hum and I had never heard the hum before and um the tower had been fully constructed and the lights were blinking on it and they had been for you know a period of a a week or 10 days at least Um, and we didn't know the city wouldn't tell us when it was being turned on and the electrical like was now spinning you know you could see that it had been plugged in and you could hear the generator and i thought oh no and i called verizon And I spoke to a rep down in Texas who told me that that was the day that the tower had been fired up. I called our family pediatrician who said, do you know the American Academy position statement on cell towers? And I was like, they have one? Like, no, I had no idea, right? Like, I'm completely new to this. And she said, I'll send it to you. And she said they had quoted a study where people within 1,600 feet, you know, are having these symptoms. And I didn't know that the American Academy of Pediatrics had written to the FCC back in, what, 2011, 2010, asking for those standards to be revised to be more protective of children uh, because of the peer-reviewed scientific Studies showing these biological effects, and I was blown away. And I think by December, we learned that at least 13 other people had also had symptoms in the neighborhood, and these ranged anywhere from, um, you know, headaches, migraines, insomnia, ringing in the ears, nausea, vomiting, dizziness, skin rashes. Um, hormonal changes, um, memory loss, loss of word recall, daytime fatigue and tiredness, um, and later we learned, um, that additional folks were sick. And this was terrifying to me. The first thing, you know, that I, I did was, um, I reached out to our local health department and said, Hey, this is what's going on. And they said, we'll send somebody right out. We'll send them over to the neighborhood. At least they can document this. And I thought, great, okay, that's a start. You know, the health department can come and document this. And they never came.
0: The Pittsfield Health Department may not have been helpful, but that didn't stop Courtney. She organized a petition with thousands of signatures. She organized Zoom calls with leading health and scientific experts from around the country and invited public health officials to attend and learn. She and her neighbors called into meetings at City Hall. She spoke to reporters and invited them to come to Pittsfield to see the tower for themselves. She made as much noise as she could.
2: One of the things that we were passionate about was making sure another neighborhood wasn't blindsided. We started telling our story publicly, Doug, and people started coming forward telling telling us theirs, that they too were blindsided by a cell tower, that, Um, they too, there was deceptive or misleading address used for permitting a tower that made it so only one abutter knew instead of the 30, you know, abutters. People started sharing their stories and this was really powerful. And here in Pittsfield, people started sharing their stories of being blindsided by towers as well.
0: Finally, Courtney contacted the Pittsfield Board of Health. According to the city's website, the Board of Health provides guidance to the health department to, quote, assess and address the needs of the Pittsfield community in order to protect and improve the health and quality of life of its residents and workforce, unquote. So you would naturally assume that the Board of Health had been fully briefed on the situation with the cell tower.
2: First of all, the Board of Health was really not kept in the loop on what was going on from the health department. So the first time I had contact with the Board of Health, I was like, have you reviewed all our, our information? And they were like, we haven't been sent anything. It was like, it was a brand new issue to them. They had never heard of it. They had not been forwarded anything. Um, and that to me was just devastating because here we had months and months and months of documented science and you know, testimony. And this was the first they were hearing of it.
0: Undaunted, Courtney persuaded the Board of Health to hold a forum where they could hear for themselves directly from the experts. Dr. David Carpenter, Director of the Institute for Health and the Environment at the University of Albany. Dr. Paul Heroux, Professor of Toxicology and Health Effects of Electromagnetism at McGill University in Montreal. Dr. Magda Havas, Professor Emeritus in the School of Environment at Trent University. Dr. Kent Chamberlain, former chair of the University of New Hampshire's Department of Electrical and Computer Engineering, and others.
2: The Board of Health members listened and decided at that point that the best course of action would be for Verizon to turn off the cell tower and decided that they would have a conversation, approach Verizon, and ask them to do just that. Once again, you know, we were hopeful that we would be able to go home and we felt validated, Um, we felt like we were being treated with dignity and respect, we were being listened to, they were listening to the doctors and the scientists and the subject matter experts.
0: The community rallied behind Courtney and her neighbors, promising to help and even volunteering other places nearby where the tower could be located, where it wasn't right in the middle of a residential community.
2: We even had somebody say, we'll clear the land. We will help do the prep. We'll do whatever it takes. People were like, we're going to fundraise to relocate it if it costs money. We'll help. Like, we'll have a bake sale. We'll have a lemonade stand. Like, the community was phenomenal. And Verizon was like, nope, we're not moving it. So when it was clear that Verizon was not coming to the table to engage in solutions, the board served them with the cease and desist uh, due to the RF radiation making our homes uninhabitable and simply requested Verizon turn up at a board of health hearing to come to the table with solutions. And again, Verizon did not come to a hearing. And, you know, that to me is horrible. You know, like they have this opportunity to try and work this out and they chose not to. Instead, they chose to litigate, and they sued the city in federal court. And in order to defend the order in court, the Board of Health needed independent legal counsel, which the city failed to provide.
0: Because there was litigation, but no attorney to represent the Tower neighborhood citizens, the Board of Health withdrew its cease and desist order. But the story of the cell tower and the sick residents of Pittsfield doesn't end there. A new legal action was just filed last week against the city, alleging that the decision to withdraw the cease and desist order was rendered unlawful by the illicit actions of the mayor, city solicitor, and others under the mayor's influence and control and is not supported by substantial evidence. Courtney is not giving up the fight
2: at the end of the day somebody has to be accountable for radio frequency radiation making people sick
0: we'll continue to follow the story of the pittsfield tower here on green street news stay tuned These days, it seems like everybody is carrying two things around with them. One is their phone, which they can't seem to let go of, and the other is a plastic bottle of water. Everybody carries their drinking water around with them. What is the environmental impact of all those plastic bottles of water?
1: Well, it's huge. First of all, we're talking about millions of bottles of water uh, being used every single day. And when you look at the whole world, it's probably billions or even trillions that are being used every day. And we're talking about these personal size water bottles, right? So first of all, you have to look at the water that's in them. The water that's in them doesn't necessarily have to be purified water. It could just be water from some municipality that's being bottled.
0: Could be water from Brooklyn.
1: Could be water from Brooklyn. Unlikely, but could be.
0: And not that there's anything wrong with Brooklyn. No, I mean, nothing wrong with Brooklyn. But, However, but it could be tap water is what It I'm could be
1: tap water from some municipality. So first thing is that you should probably, if you're going to do this, that you should look on the bottle for some assurance that it has been either filtered or it has gone through a reverse osmosis process or something to clean that water before it's bottled. I don't think there's a single municipal water system in the country that does not contain contaminants from just living on this planet, right? Okay, so that's one thing. The second thing is that the plastic bottle itself contains chemicals that can leach readily into the water. So if you have unfiltered or unpurified water, plus the chemicals from the plastic water bottle itself, that's not a very healthy
0: thing to drink. And the chemicals can leach even at room temperature and almost immediately after the water goes into the bottle. I mean, it's not not like you have to wait a long time.
1: That's right. So that's what you have as far as the quality of the water. Then you have the bottle itself, which is problematic, because as soon as you finish drinking that water that's in the bottle, you're going to throw it away. You might recycle it thinking, you know, that you've done the right thing, but plastic doesn't recycle. Let's talk about that. The Department of Energy actually said that less than 5% of all plastic that goes into the recycling waste stream actually gets recycled. So that leaves 95% of it that's going off into the environment and breaking down into smaller and smaller pieces until it becomes nanoparticles or microplastics. And we're finding these microplastics, these nanoplastics in our air, our water, our food, our soil, it's almost impossible to get away from. And there are a lot of other things in our air too, but now we're adding microplastics or nanoplastics to our air. And so recycling plastic is, is something that the industry wanted us all to think was, you know, a good thing. And that's how they're going to get rid of all this extra plastic packaging and plastic bottles and plastic, plastic, plastic. But the fact is that we know now that it's not a good recyclable material.
0: So they've got these television advertisements with these smiling people who say, we want every bottle back, right? We want every bottle back so that we can recycle that bottle and turn it into more plastic bottles. But that's not actually possible, is it? Right. You can't a, make a plastic right. bottle out it's of just an old a, it's plastic just,
1: bottle. It's somebody's PR campaign that they came up with sitting around the boardroom table.
0: Because the plastic bottle has chemicals in it, and no matter what you do, those chemicals are going to be there in whatever else you make. So, even if you make something else out of the plastic bottle, it's going to have all the chemicals that were there right. in the first place, right. plus whatever chemicals they need to make it into railroad ties or right. furniture and that, or whatever and that, else. What
1: you're talking about, railroad ties and, and like, you know, um, paving and stuff, that's one of the very few things that can actually be made with recycled plastic. It just doesn't work for for putting that plastic back into a mold to make another bottle. That's not working, and it doesn't happen. But you have to understand that the plastics industry is, is really, really revving up because it's a fossil fuel product, right? It's a combination of two things. It's fossil fuels. They make plastic out of oil, gas, and even coal, and then they add chemicals to it. So it's fossil fuels and chemicals and now that fossil fuels are you know they've got a bad name in the energy sector Mm -hmm. now we're going to use those fossil fuels to make more plastics even though we know that we have filled our oceans even though we know that everybody has plastics in their bodies even though we know that you know we're killing sea life with plastic they don't care
0: it's money So it's up to everybody to get their own stainless steel water bottle. Stainless steel or glass bottle. Uh And and fill it with their own filtered water. Right. This is the best way to do it. Or just
1: reuse a glass bottle. Let's say you buy iced tea in a glass bottle. Take it home, rinse it out, wash it out and fill it up with, you know, your own filtered water from home or juice or whatever else you want to drink. Just use glass from a health perspective, a human health perspective. Drinking and eating out of plastic is very problematic. You're really, you know, potentially harming yourself because of that. So just eat and drink out of glass, stainless, china, you know,
0: and that's it. There's more information about this and some of the products that we like at our website, grassrootsinfo.org, grassrootsinfo, all one word.org. All right, thanks, Patty. You're welcome. That's going to do it for this edition of Green Street News. If you missed any part of the show, you can always catch it wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on social media. And if you have an environmental news story you want us to cover, please email us at radio at grassrootsinfo.org. That's radio at grassrootsinfo.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.